So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Running Rugby podcast, coming to you a little bit later in this week and I have to take a bit of uh, responsibility for that. I've been working nights, I've, I've not been on my game and I've been sleeping a lot and I think the boys can attest to that. Hey, that's all right, we forgive you. Thank you. Purple wiggle. Yeah, I, I definitely slept through our first sort of recording slot this week, but that's all right. Coming a bit later we can means we can actually have a look at the team's lineups for next week and you know, put our predictions together. But first of all, looking back at that last round, quick question for you boys. Is there any team capable, in Australia at least, that can play for 60 minutes at the moment? So, based on based on what we've seen, no. Because we haven't seen it yet. So, this is basically, this is basically a, an opinion piece. Uh, do no. I think any of them have the capability? And I like how you ask for 60 minutes, not 80 minutes. Like, you're not even willing to ask, can, it, can any of the Australian teams play for 80? Because I don't think anyone would so confidently say that yet. Um, but really, I think I think early early Rebels might have been might have been the best example to play to to play close to a full match at the same intensity and, and not drop off so steeply that it feels like they've completely lost momentum. I don't know what do you reckon, Toby? Um, no, I I think there have been times where the Australian teams have put in a pretty consistent effort for the whole match, and it's probably if you're looking at yeah early Rebels. Mid-season Waratahs and also some of the early games for the Reds as well. They were bringing it, and it was often when they were defending. They were, you know, they kept that intensity up even though they were defending for 15, 20 minutes at a time. But I think what we're looking for perhaps is intensity of attack and not having those errors creep into the game. So I think you know they're fit enough. These teams are fit enough this season. I think they've improved that since last year. But it's just being able to perform and execute these plays without the silly errors coming in. Um, and that's what we're noticing that, you know, we're seeing good sections of play maybe for 20, 30 minutes, and then there'll be 10, 20 minutes when they just lose the plot. Are you sure they're fitter this year? I, I mean... definitely think that they're fitter. Last year, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confident they are um, across the board, but... I wouldn't say it's, you know, it's not a massive increase in fitness. I think it's at, they're at an acceptable level at the moment. But the I think the top New Zealand sides and maybe the Lions as well, teams like that, are at probably a bit of a higher level in terms of fitness. Because as soon as you start getting tired on the field, that's when you can't execute your plays. So if you're fit enough and you're at that highest level, then you will be able to execute throughout the match. So... Just the fact that you point out that you think the New Zealanders are at another level, that just means that we're not fit enough because it's all relative. No, I said the thank top you, every, thank you. Yeah, yeah, but that's, the, that's who we're competing stuff. with. That's who we're think, competing with. Yeah, look, I, I, I disagree. Actually, I disagree with you. I disagree with you because I think we were talking in our pre-podcast, which is what I'm going to call the, the version where Archie was sleeping, and we had a bit of a talk about what well, – while I was trying to explain what I thought I saw from the Waratahs and – 
and why they got rolled by the Lions. And it was a couple of quick phases from the Lions with Waratah's players still dragging themselves up off the ground. And they managed to recycle the ball through two phases, which drew in at least four Waratahs before the first couple of tacklers got back from that first ruck, which meant that they were basically running whatever they committed to their second ruck. So after those guys, they're probably committing 13 against 11. So every time they get a quick ruck, they're basically giving themselves that numbers advantage. And it looked like fitness. It looked like guys who are, yeah. after 30 minutes couldn't get themselves up off the ground and back into the line. And ultimately, it's all relative. I think, Archie, you look like you're agreeing with this, that yeah, if, if you're definitely. not as fit as the opposition, then you're not fit enough. Yeah, but it's select opposition, okay? You can say that, you know, they're. I don't think that they're more unfit than, say, some of the South African teams. Probably some Saguaro's Blues. They're all at a similar level. I know if you want to win this competition, you've probably got to be at a better level than they are at the moment. But they're so definitely they're not they've improved. No, they've improved from last year. That was the question. Are they, are they fitter than last year? Are they fit enough? I think they are fit enough to win these games, but they're just not executing. There's too many silly errors. So and maybe that does not necessarily, I think, at times, but I don't think that's an excuse for why they're not, you know, being consistent enough with their plays. I don't think you can bring it all down to fitness. I think there's other areas, just skills in general need to be better. Uh, I, I reckon the way you can run a training session is get the guys really tired initially and then do your skills. And if you can't ex- execute your skills under fatigue, then I mean, you're basically saying you can't execute your skills for maybe 50% of a game. And that's, no, it's again, different. It's, I, think, it's, I think they're failing to execute under pressure. I think it's a different thing. I think being fatigued will contribute to those errors creeping into the game as well. But I think the pressure... When Australian teams are up against it, they often crumble and they lose their head. They don't actually play smart footy, you know? They actually yeah. start playing to the opposition's hands. So I think it's part strategy. Yeah, maybe fitness could be a little better, but I definitely think it's an improvement from last year. But general skills under pressure, just not good enough. They just can't keep their composure and consistency throughout the match. And that's why they're losing these games. Well, let's, let's keep going. Let's look at the first game because, I mean, we're going to be talking about a lot of the same stuff. And Friday night, the Waratahs versus the Lions. And, you know, they kept it close. First half, it was 7-0 down to the Lions. And, you know, I, I was looking at it, I thought we were in it. But then, I don't know, they came out second half and Lions just, I don't know whether it was fitness, I don't know whether it was physicality, but they ran all over us and they ended up taking the win here. Um, 29 points nil. First time the Waratahs have ever been held to nil in Super Rugby. Yeah, that's really disappointing. They'll, they won't be happy with themselves for being the team that gives up that record. And and that second half, like the Lions, the Lions pick, picked apart the Waratahs' defence, particularly around that line-out and th- the way that they set up, set up their maul but then rolled the guys off to the side and they just drew in all six, seven guys in that line-out. And there was huge huge amounts of space off the back of the line-out. So that that looked like a plan because they did almost an identical play after they scored the first try. And we saw everyone go head down into the mall, not really thinking. It's it's just sort of like a an automatic response. Oh, as lines have gone up, yep, they're setting up a mall. Everyone heads down in, hold it. No one's sweeping, no one assessing what's happening 
once they've dropped their heads, they're, they're just committed to them all. And, and the Lions made a lot of that and got two, two tries fairly quickly off you know the first phase ball. I actually don't think, like, the Tars didn't play well in this game, but I think just overall the Lions are a class above the Waratahs. And I think we were getting a little bit carried away with some of these wins that the Tars were having. And, you know, you've got to remember the Lions have been in the last two finals of Super Rugby. They've come close each time to winning this competition over the last two years. Their record over the last three years has been very impressive. And they've still got their key players around... I don't think, like I've said, that they're as good as they were maybe last year, but they're definitely at a higher level than the Waratahs. Um, the Waratahs forwards still need a lot of improvement. Got a decent backline, but they don't always fire on all cylinders. So, you know, I'm not I'm not particularly surprised to see this result. I thought it would be closer. I actually did tip the Waratahs. I thought they'd get over the lines in a, a pretty narrow victory, but... You know, they just didn't bring it. And if you don't bring it against a team like the Lions, you're just going to get absolutely hammered, whether it's at home or in South Africa. I mean, if this one was in Joburg, it could have been 50-0. So, so I had them as well. I had them. I tipped them by, I think, three. I thought it was going to be close. They'd probably be a lower scoring because the Waratahs would rely on their defence. Uh, and the Waratahs did get a little bit of attack going. There was one point there late in the first half where they where they broke out and they, I think, but for one final offload, about five to ten meters out, they they potentially scored a try there, and that that would have leveled things up at half time. So it was very close there initially, but it's it's those defensive lapses that I already mentioned, and then the ease with which the Lions took the ball back from the Waratahs. The Waratahs had a scrum attacking in their in the Lions twenty two, first first phase off the scrum to Foley inside ball to Novoro, crash into the forwards coming along. And and Quagga Smith pinches the ball because we can't even clean out on the first phase nearest the ruck, uh, sorry nearest the scrum. Like that's that's pretty disappointing, and that's that's your loose forwards and maybe your second rowers not coming through. And not to pick a guy out, but Rob Simmons was pretty pretty sloppy at a lot of rucks. <laughs> like, yes, just not effective at all. You can bag him again. This is good. He just he just good. throws his big frame into the ruck with no real. He's just. He's a stupid it just falls off the player. side. Like, yeah. Honestly, he just—he just—he just, he he just, just, just torpedoes himself in. He doesn't doesn't actually wrap his arms around anyone. He doesn't he doesn't grab anyone, lift and and tip them off the off the ruck. He just kind of flops himself in there. And it's just—I mean, I mean, maybe what I was seeing was the late stuff under more fatigue. But that's just it's just rubbish. Like it's not even worth you going in there. If you're just going to flop in like that, it's, it's unacceptable it's for this first phase. As you're saying, it's off the scrum. Every single forward knows where that ball's going. You don't even have to like get up and think about where you have to go. You know exactly where you need to be because you know there's going to be a short inside ball to Niavoro and you should just be charging straight for it, overline, quick ball out, and that's how you set up a good play. But when you can't do that, when you're losing that first phase ball, how how is your team supposed to generate any momentum in a game like that? Yeah, exactly. So that was pretty disappointing. And there was still some good performances in amongst the Waratahs. I think Michael Wells has had another pretty solid game. Like still, he, he seems to have, he's maybe their benchmark for fitness between him and Hooper. Like they're getting around doing a lot of work, which is really good. And Jake Gordon's still looking for his opportunities, which is great. That's that's what we need is that variety in a, in a scrum half, someone who's going to snipe, someone who's going to um, deliver a good, accurate ball, nice and flat at pace. 
Um, th- those are the three guys I could pick out from from the Waratahs who I thought still had a fairly good game given the situation. Can I just say, I think some yeah. of the changes early in the second half didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I don't know really what Daryl Gibson was sort of trying to do there. I mean, he, t- he takes off Jake Gordon at about 50 minutes when he's been sort of one out one of our most potent sort of getting the whole team sort of going forward with some of those sniping runs. And I know you have Phipps on the bench, but you've seen Gordon absolutely generate pieces of brilliance just individually and create attack himself. He also then took Staniforth off to put um, Miller back on and move Hennigan. And it was like he's trying to go back to what sort of worked a couple of weeks ago. But I actually thought Staniforth was playing probably his best game of the season and getting some sort of good go forward here. And I think... Gibson was starting to sort of panic with those early sort of second half tries to the lines and goes, oh, well, let's go back to what what worked sort of a couple of weeks ago. When you've specifically picked this forward pack a bit bigger to try and stop some of those big line forwards, and it, it just didn't work. Yeah, I think he was trying to go the other way in terms of picking up the pace of play, maybe bringing Miller on and, and having an even more mobile back row. Um, but, yeah, look... None of the forwards. I mean, Staniforth, you're right. He did look a bit better than he, he did earlier in the season. And that's good. I, I You know, you never know. He could, he could get another start against the Blues in a, a week's time. But, um, yeah, it's with Robin, Rob Simmons in there, I think Hannigan's still pretty solid. But when you when your next pick lock is Simmons or, or Staniforth, you know, it's not, not a particularly good decision to have to make. Mm. Um, so, I don't know. Hopefully the Waratahs can can pick it up for the next game. They can go away, forget about this one, and you know the Lions move on to the Reds. And that's I'm I'm looking forward to seeing that one because don't know what the Reds are going to do. They're probably going to try and muscle up and and hit the Lions pretty hard. And to to combat combat them up front, it's a pretty difficult thing to do. So we'll see what Brad Thorne can come up with. Yeah, and the Waratahs. You said they had that week off, but then they have four weeks in a row versus Kiwi opposition. So it's going to be a tough tough month ahead for the Waratahs moving forward. Let's hope they can sort of pull it together, get their heads on straight. And, I mean, it's a way to start off on a positive note. You've got a home or a match at Brookvale, but still in Sydney uh, versus the Blues in two weeks, which is a very winnable game for these Tars. Yeah, agreed. We then go forward to our game on Saturday at Brisbane and the Reds chasing the Chiefs. And, look, we, we thought the Chiefs would have a bit too much. And, I mean, we were talking about teams last in the full 80 minutes and the Chiefs I mean the Reds best sort of play in this game probably did come in the final sort of 10 minutes of this game they started to look a little bit more potent but obviously not enough to completely turn the tables here Chiefs winning 36 to 12 at bonus point win yeah it was really the first 20-30 minutes that won it for the Chiefs which I think they were a little bit disappointed after the game that they didn't kind of push on and and really put the points on the Reds you know in the end this this win was pretty comfortable, winning by more than 20 points. Um, but, yeah, the Chiefs were far from happy from their with their performance. Um, the Reds, you know, again, they can't score enough points. We've said it before. This match, they only scored 12 points. It's not good enough. Um, they need to get that back line going. There's some talent there out wide. We've seen Lance, I think, get injured in this game. So, yeah, we've seen Stewart being named at 10 for the coming week. So, Hopefully you can kind of maybe spark that back line a little bit more than it has been in the last few weeks. So something that the, the Reds really seemed to lack in this game was um, movement of the back line 
and all the all the players in the line in attack onto the ball, which meant that they really had no momentum when the Chiefs, which the Chiefs' defense, which was quite quite high intensity, like they were rushing up, putting us under pressure. The Reds had no momentum, and so catching the ball static and then trying to trying to uh, push forward on, on into that line and, and make any gains, get across the gain line, was just just wasn't effective. So they just they never seemed to have that forward momentum. And if they didn't have that forward momentum, then all those backs that we know can perform and do, and do great things didn't get any opportunity. And the Chiefs' rush defense just killed off any attack they they did generate. And and obviously they they just roll through after that, turn the ball over and and have a have a go themselves. Yeah, one thing the Reds are doing though, um, they've blooded some good young players and they've developed and maybe invigorated some older guys that are looking pretty sharp for the Wallabies this year. Kane Douglas is one that just continues to perform. Um, young bloke that obviously has already been picked for the Wallabies, Isaac Rodder. Um, so their type five overall has been really good and they've shuffled their back row a little bit around given, you know, Higginbotham's out now and the suspension to him and and just trying to find that right balance in the back row. Um, so the forwards, from my perspective, have been pretty impressive for the majority of the season. Um, I think, again, the back line needs some more direction. Um, whether you just get two playmakers in there, I think, look, we'd like to see whether that's going to work. Um, I think they may need to shift up, uh, shift around their centre pairing a little bit. But, you know, like we said, they do have talent in that back line. They just need to be able to unlock it. Do you guys still think Karevi is a 12? Just because that's what I was looking at this yeah, weekend. I, think, I, was, I, was trying I to... think he's the best at 12. Really? He stunts the back line a little bit. Yeah, look, I don't think at 13, maybe it's more of a defensive aspect of him playing. He has more space at 13, which may help him a little bit. But, you know, he could play a game like, say, um, Manonu used to play, Sonny Bill plays a bit. He's just got to learn to offload consistently well and also know when, you know, to get out of the way and not be carrying the ball up, just stunting that back line because sometimes he can be kind of caught holding the ball too often. And then it just doesn't get outside to, to those guys waiting on on the wings. So I, I I said a few pods ago that that I thought that John Lance to Karevi was their best 10-12 combination because it seemed like they had a bit of understanding. Uh, I agree with you, Toby, that that Karevi potentially hits that ball up, um, crash into the line maybe a little bit too often. Like there doesn't there doesn't feel like there's a lot of deception there if he's if he gets the ball and he's running hard and straight the defense probably don't need to worry too much that he's they're just focused on tackling him and wrapping the ball up. They're not worried that he's going to throw some sneaky pass late. So that's maybe variety he needs to develop because you don't want to just cut him out because that that just that just telegraphs what's happening as well. If you take take the ball and just throw it past him, well, they defense haven't had to think about anything. So then uh, Chris Thosortia uh, is I think a good defensive 13. I think he's playing that position pretty well. But, yeah, he, he might not be that dynamic in attack. Uh, so there's probably a little bit of mix up there. There's room to put in like a Hamish Stewart, um, maybe even inside Lance. Maybe you have Lance Karevi, 12-13 uh, even. I just I just was tr- looking at him specifically in this game, and we saw him score two tries. But both of them were where he was a little bit wider or curling around the blind. And it was when he was actually running at gaps, which I don't 
think I see when he's hitting the ball up at 12. He seems to be going straight at players and looking to take that contact rather than trying to get past and aiming his run like five metres behind that defensive line. I just don't know whether whether that extra space just gives him a little bit more room and gives him a little bit bigger of a gap to aim at for him to, you know, get that strong run but he, where he can almost just slip through a couple of defenders. I think you've seen it, you know, there's been problems with playing Karevi even at 12 and 13 for the Wallabies. It's never quite worked. You know, I think I remember maybe one or two games where it's it's worked quite well against weaker opposition. But apart from that, against the top-tier sides, it has He's just been shown majorly, up in defense. has a majorly... Yeah, well, defense, and also it's just stunted the back line. But I think he is effective at super rugby level when, you know, he's used the right way. But there are many times when he's used the wrong way and it just completely destroys that kind of fluency in the back line. Yeah, I thought it's probably opportunity to try something new. I think... I think... Lance could play twelve if they if they wanted to try that. If you want to have two, I don't I don't think you put Hamish Stewart at twelve. I think Lance has shown him himself to be a good enough defender to be be a twelve with Karevi outside. I just don't understand why Karevi can't be our like Nani Lamapi, like the version of that. Where you don't get any sort of poor effects from having a, a guy that's gonna crash crash take the crash ball. Um, but can still kind of vary up the play a little bit. And maybe that's because they do in the Hurricanes have someone like Geordie Barrett. At yeah, 15 exactly. That can slot in as a second playmaker. And generally across the back line, you know, they have those guys that can take the reins a bit more. But if you do look at that back line overall, they do have a lot of guys that just carry the ball, like Ben Lamb, yeah. Lau Marpi, even Vince Asso and then Julian Sevilla. A lot of those guys are just, you know, powerful ball carriers. So if the, the Hurricanes can kind of work around that and make sure they have enough kind of creativity in the back line, then I think the Reds can do it too. They just need to find, you know, the right formula that works for them. Just quickly on the forwards, I thought the combination between Brendan Pangomosa and uh, Isaac Rodder was was pretty good on the weekend. Like their lineouts are really solid. Uh, I think there's potential there for if, if the Wallabies start looking for combinations in the forwards. Uh, Isaac Rodder's definitely putting his name forward and we've talked about Pangaramosa last week. I think there's uh, potential there. They're, they're running a pretty tight line out, those guys, and um, we're, with a bit of a gap in the hooker stocks without Tadafu Pilota now coming back, uh, that's that's something that's really good to see. And briefly looking at the Chiefs team, I mean, they're so powerful, especially that second row pairing between Retallick and the Canadian international Ardon. They both uh, got tries in this one, and they're just, just so powerful. Yeah, the Chiefs. The Chiefs still seem to be pulling, pulling a lot of points into each game. And I, I'll tell you what, I, I'm losing faith in Damien McKenzie and his well, his passing game. Like he's he's so good, but his passing game when he's throwing long balls. I, this this is what I think restricts him as a ten. He cannot seem to consistently land a long flat pass like when it's a loopy loopy one in the deep because they're counter-attacking and he wants someone to put the bomb up for him or vice versa like he's he's got no issue throwing that pass when he's got the time but as a 10 he needs to be able to throw if he wants to compete with the Bowden Barretts and and the top 10s in the world um, and when he's spotting the All Blacks he, he needs to be able to throw a long flat cut out ball accurately in in situations like when when you're 
you know, 10 metres out and that, that pass picking out the right player puts someone through a gap and gets you points. But I don't think he could do it. They throw the ball behind the line that many times. It's really, they're really spraying it. So there were opportunities there where, where a better team uh, could have pounced on those opportunities and either rolled them on the back while they're on the back foot or even picked up, kicked the ball through, picked it up and, and run away with it. So I don't think the Chiefs were that good in this game. Like they, they weren't terrible. They weren't bad. But they weren't exceptional, and they were they were at a level where I think uh, one of the better New Zealand teams would have shut them down and beaten them. I think I'd still put Damien McKenzie as have him as my ten over probably four of the other Australian tens that we have. Maybe only three. I'd still I'd still like to have him in my lineup. Well, you can't no, because he's from New no, Zealand. I put them easily, easily. He'd be it'd be Foley and then him mm. for sure. And the Chiefs oh, do like they Jono. they play that. Uh, Jono, look, we love Jono, um, but Damien McKenzie he offers um, quite a lot in terms of creativity and just you know just that X factor, absolute X factor where he's just he can just create something out of nothing, and that's what that's what's saying that like I'm, I hate to say it, but the Reds used to get that quite often out of Quade Cooper. Um, and they look a little flat without a player that can offer that. Um, yeah, but Quade still... Cooper's passing game was much tighter than Damian no, McKenzie. I agree. Like, I, I don't agree. have an I issue think... with that. That's no, fair no, no. comment. I, I think McKenzie belongs further out, and I think he's. I think he belongs in the backs. Uh, in I the, think he sorry, needs probably. He probably needs a few years to playing at ten consistently, um, yeah. where he's going to get that experience and he's going to be throwing those balls over and over again in training. You know, on on the pitch. On game day, Definitely you know it's one thing. Right. It's one thing to do it one week, but you can have an off game pretty easily. And you know that's why probably you know the All Blacks, I think, are still going to have to pick someone like Lima Sopawanga, because um, I think McKenzie is yeah better used as a utility. He he can slot in at ten occasionally, but as a full time replacement for for Bowden Barrett, he's not quite there yet. No. And he'll get that long passing game. You're right, but it has been. It's not just one game. It's the last. Two or three games have started noticing this, and and I'll be keeping a close eye on it as we go forward. Yeah, you, yeah. Can, you can do that in Super Rugby and international level, probably not so much. Uh, but the next game we need to look at is the Rebels, who headed over to South Africa to face the Bulls, and it's a it's a tough game to have straight up. But any game in South Africa nowadays is a tough game. Rebels, uh, they looked like they were affected by the travel. They were definitely affected by not having Genia in there, and they. Went down in this game, twenty-eight to ten. Shout out though, Michael Ruru. He played hard. He stayed on for like 70, 76, 77 minutes, even though he could hardly walk for the last fifteen. Do do have to be a good shout out to him. He played through a lot of a lot of pain in that game. Yeah, I stupidly picked the Rebels, which now I now massively regret. But I don't know. I was looking for a, just a bounce back performance from them out of the blue when everyone was kind of riding them off. Um, they were without Genia, obviously. Um, they still haven't found, you know, their forward pack, they've got great players everywhere, but they just can't find it, seem to find a consistent combination that works for them week to week. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure it's actually helping by rotating players in and out all the time. They're not really forming any sort of good combinations there. There's probably a little bit more of, you know, a settled atmosphere in the back line, but still... Um, Debrasini's been consistent this season, but he hasn't kind of offered, you know, probably 
enough to really unlock the potential in that back line overall. Um, but it looks like they're not going to Maddox for now. I'm not sure if they're going to try that at all this season. But um, I think whilst they're in contention for winning the, the Aussie conference, they'll they'll probably p- persevere with Jack Debrasini for now. Um, Jack Maddox, you know, I think he'll still be in Wallaby's contention somewhere, probably just in the broader squad at the moment. Um, you know, he could get onto the wing possibly, but, you know, it's, there's a lot of competition there. So... Rebels don't know what's going to, you know, I don't know how they're going to bounce back from this. They haven't been playing well for a number of games now. And, yeah, I think Vessels just needs to maybe kind of pick and stick um, with with some of those forwards and and really build up a good combination in that back row because Murphy seems to be carrying them a little bit at the moment. Yeah, I think they definitely need some consistency in the selections. Like there's, if you've got... Uh, an amazing squad of players that all know how to lift and and play to the to the situation. Then sure, you can drop a few different people in, and it, but it should be more. If anything, if anything at all, it should be more of a sprinkling. It's one or two guys, but I just don't think any of the Australian teams have that sort of depth in the stocks to be able to pick a team that suits your opposition. I, th- I agree with you, Ty. I think they need to decide what they're trying to do and pick the team that best does that. And then stick with that and get the other guys to bring their uh, bring their other skills in off the bench and and you know you're allowed to be a little bit more free when people are tired you get away with a few more things that might be outside your game plan but the the, the rebels are a bit too much um, in the forwards a bit too much chop and change and then the backs have been maybe forced into some of those changes with um, Dan Hallett Petty being in and out and he's out again this week we've got the team list there and we've got a a Meeks, we've got a Meeks Hodge center pairing, and Maddox is now at fullback again. And I don't, I don't think that's a bad group. I mean, it's, if if Hale Petty's not there, I think that's probably, probably the right setup um, because Maddox can inject. We saw some good handling from him on the weekend in this loss. Uh, he's he's still there in and about. He he is another playmaker who can slot in and and maybe surprise the defense because he doesn't plays he doesn't play those moves all the time. He he really does kind of save them for the odd situation when it's warranted, which is good. That shows he's got good decision-making. And, um, and you know, the, as a group, they're running onto the ball. They've, they've got that forward momentum that I think the Reds really lacked. They seem to be – I don't know why they, they don't get more penetration, but they but they are at least moving forward onto the ball and asking questions of the defence. So that's that's a positive. And, and, yeah, tough game against the Stormers this week, but um, there's, they're doing a lot well still, even in their losses. Just quickly, I think I'm glad to see Ainsley back in that starting lineup. I think he offers a lot around the field and his set piece is pretty good. Um, also good to see Tamani back in there. And, you know, let's, Arch, do you have any thoughts on Sefanai Valu? Because he just hasn't been able to get back up to form this year. And a lot of the time he's been coming off the bench. So he's had limited game time and Corabidi's been pretty good again. Um, but yeah, Sefa just hasn't been able to crack that starting lineup. Look, I don't, I don't think either Naivalu or Korobiti have really recaptured their top form at the moment. I mean, they've both been just struggling to get themselves into these games. Korobiti's been trying to, you know, be physical and make those big hits that he used to make, but he hasn't quite got his timing back coming off the injury. And I think the reason they're not. Naivalu hasn't got himself back into that starting lineup, even when you don't have um, Maddox securing himself a spot on the wing, is because they're a little bit 
of a liability and having both of them on both wings, I think they'd be very worried a team like the Bulls or even this week with the Stormers would punish them with some of their, their quick players out wide. Um, they would just be able to, you put sort of two players on them, give them a bit of a indecision in defense and they reckon they could, he reckons they could probably go straight through them. I think for example, um, you talk about Maddox kind of holding down that wing spot. I think Maddox and Deborah senior are probably the only two guys that have played every game for the rebels this season. If you look at their list, um, they've had a lot of rotation there and yeah, I think that's one of the troubles with having such a talented squad of guys that just, you want to give them opportunities and they're probably, you know, bashing each other at training, showing quite a lot. So it's probably putting a lot of doubt in Vessels' mind about who is actually the best, you know, 15 guys to be putting out there. And I think perhaps he's, you know, inexperienced as coach, he's still a young coach. I think that's showing perhaps a little bit in the fact that, you know, he is making a lot of changes, particularly when they're losing. I, I just don't think that that helps them at all. So, you know, hopefully they can get back to winning form soon because we were so pumped about them earlier in the season. Um, and now people aren't talking about them or paying attention to them down in Melbourne. And, you know, for the growth of the game, I think it'd be really good to see them bounce back and, and show a bit of form as we come into, towards the end of the end of the season. Look, there's been, and they had a couple of injuries in this game. Coleman went off early. It's a shame, like, they had to go to uncontested scrums by the end because Ulysse came on and hurt his shoulder again, and Rangi sort of came back on after being subbed out with some cramps and injury and then had to go back off. So they've had to deal with a little bit of chopping and changing there. I think it's a shame Hardwick hasn't got more of a chance to start. He's He had one chance and he sort of got a bit excited, got a bit carried away when he started, and then... But since then, coming off the bench, he's always been a good sort of change in momentum when he does. So I think he deserves a little bit of more of a chance. Yeah, the Rebels, again, they're not picking a fetcher, a, num- a proper number seven every week. And I think that's a mistake. They keep going back to like guys like Cottrell. Didn't they even start Harlet- Haylet Petty at seven one week? Yeah, they might have. Yeah, um, when they were trying to, you know, be big and physical. definitely starting six a few weeks. But yeah, like it's just, I don't know. I think they should give guys like Colby Fanger a, a proper go at seven because when he's come on, he's shown a lot. Um, they've got a lot of ball carrying through Murphy. Um, if you, you get Tamani back up to speed as well, that's a, that's a top back row. So, you know, just just some wiser selections, I think, for the Rebels would help a lot. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think the Rebels are at all out and done this season. Like, okay, they've got a hard game this week versus Stormers and they're coming back home. And what's, what do they got when they come back home? They've got the Crusaders at home. Yeah, it's going to be tough. But then you've got games versus the Brumbies, Sunwolves and Blues coming up. Those are three winnable games. If they win the next three out of their five games, then suddenly they're, they're keeping their sort of in touch at the top of the conference. And they'll if they get that, they're going to start building some momentum um, in towards the final series as well. If they're going to win those games, that's the, the defensive cohesion needs to appear because... We know they're we know they're a new squad. They're not they're not you know years together like a lot of these teams and these back lines. They they still haven't quite found that defensive uh, understanding player to player, and and they also just need to sort of keep their heads up because they're doing a lot of good stuff. They I think they they got caught napping in that game against the Bulls and their uh, halfback smartly took a quick tap and and scored. And that's that's a sign of a team that's maybe looking a bit inward thinking, oh, what, what am I doing wrong? Or, you know, thinking, you know, a bit under the 
pump here? What what have I what have I neglected to do? And they're trying to refocus, and they're actually losing focus on on the game and the rest of their team and, and the situation. So, um, the credit to the Bulls. I mean, that was that was smart. They had some good attack themselves, but the guys need to the Rebels guys need to keep the faith and keep their heads up and and just um, yeah, it's, it's saying I think probably saying that more comes with time. I don't know. Shifting the player the selections around a bit doesn't help, but over time with the same guys in the line, they'll get a better understanding of what each other we're going to do in the defensive line and, and they'll adjust better. Yeah, let's not forget how good or how impressive the Bulls have been. Um, you know, after a good start against the Hurricanes and then they fell off a little bit, but, mate, they're, they're doing pretty well for a team that's in transition and, you know, is still, yeah, a young team, probably comparable to the Bull, uh, sorry, to the Reds, what they're going through with a bit of a rebuild. But, you know, they've been playing really well and at home they're... they're you know, a massive threat actually. I, it's they're going to be tough to tip for the rest of the season, tough to tip against because they can just pull out these performances where they, you know, they seem like they're unstoppable. All right, let's keep going and let's move to the Sunday afternoon game and disappointment coming out of Canberra. The Haguaras, we know that they get on these quick starts and we know if you can just hold them in, you can usually get over them. But they've put together a couple of good performances now and the Brumbies just weren't up to standard and lost this game by five points, 25 to 20 going down in GIO Stadium on a Sunday afternoon. And this is a situation where the Brumbies scored enough points to win this game. 20 points can win you a game. You'd love to score more, but that's enough of a buffer that if you defend well, uh, you should be able to contain your opposition. And they did defend pretty well. They did do a lot of things right. They, they were down early and they had the had the sort of mental fortitude to, to chase back and, and and put themselves back in a potential winning opposite, uh, winning position. And unfortunately, Henry Spate is the villain in this one. In his 100th game, he, he makes the same mistake twice and pretty much gives the Hags a, a try in both situations. Coming in off his wing when the Brumbies appeared to have numbers coming across, to make the tackle on the second to last man, but Spates come rushing in too late to shut it down, and that man just has to shift the ball on, and we've got a guy going going along wide, uh, Where going I had through over the times. line, and yeah, so and, and that's maybe there's a little bit of um, a little bit of belief in in the rest of your team, like like I was saying for the Rebels, maybe there's a bit of lack of faith there, but I think with Henry Spate, it's maybe more saying we talked about. Uh, we, we, you guys said it for Sefer and Marika, but I think Henry Spate is the guy who does this most consistently, and it's really, really, really annoying. Yeah, he, he can't seem to squash it out of his game. He needs to stop rushing in, needs to hold his position because he's just giving up tries, and he's lost in this game. Like he shouldn't, I, he shouldn't be selected for the the Wallabies ever again just because of this performance. Honestly, like this guy is an experienced winger. It's not like game. he's new. Yeah, I know he's an experienced winger for shouldn't both. Shouldn't be selected the for the Brumbies, the Brumbies again, mate. He's got he's got Tavita playing thirteen outside him, one of the best defensive um, number thirteens in the whole whole game. And <laughs> maybe know, a few years. Ago. Yeah, there's other guys coming across covering, but you've got you can't like honestly, you can't be coming in at all like that. No one's going to blame you if you stay on your wing and the guy gets through. If someone misses a tackle, you know you'll probably be able to chase back and get him anyway. Like he just, uh, it's like he has so much intensity, 
and so much enthusiasm that it goes to his head and he just stops making good decisions. It's like, like high school the, rugby mistake. Like I used to, yeah, hot, exactly. Hot I used to let him get away with it because, you know, he used to just kind of balance it out with a lot of good offensive play. But, you know, this is just, he's cancelling out all the good things he's doing by yeah. letting in silly tries like this. And that's not the only reason um, they lost. Like, that's, it's... Put it's it big, big to put it all on him, but it's a pretty, I pretty think, big. Honestly, factor. it is. I think it but is two tries. That, there's two tries in that, 10. but but they definitely had more opportunity to score more points. So I said twenty can win you a game, and it definitely can. But if you're going to have a guy like Spate in your team, then you need the capacity to get thirty or thirty something points. And the Brumbies are a bit different to the Reds, who I was talking about not getting much forward momentum. Uh, they, they weren't. So they were starting static and then trying to push into a, a line that was rushing at them. The Brumbies were moving forward, but they were passing so early that the defence didn't have to make any decisions. They were just waiting to see where the ball stopped. The Brumbies, the Huera would throw it early and Godwin would throw it early and Tavito might throw it early. And it just moved along the back line and then it went forward and then it moved sideways along the back line and then it moved forward. And if if they're doing all this, all they've got to do is hold that ball, hold the ball in two hands, for an extra half a second, shift it a little bit later, and you're going to each time you do that, you're drawing in the players a little bit closer and giving them less opportunity to to be able to rally and chase any sort of break you make. So you're dra- dragging in players, whereas this way, they're just shifting it, running it up. If the guy who actually takes it into contact breaks out and gets an offload, the entire rest of the back line that weren't trying to tackle that guy are still in a position to turn, chase, and... and and stop that attack. A perfect example of that is in this game when they suddenly got to play 14 men. You have the Haguaris players sent off sort of just after halftime, I think it was 45, 47 minutes, and then you have the Brumbies doing exactly what you said. Buffelli. Yeah, doing exactly what you said, not taking the ball to the line, allowing the Hags just to have easy sort of defensive time and then get those turnovers, kick it down, and it ended up being the Haguaris scored seven points while they had a player in the bin. And the Brumbies scored nothing. How, how can you possibly yeah. let that happen as a team? That's the, that's absolutely the worst, the absolute yeah. worst thing you can let. That's happen. criminal, criminal. And the Brumbies also like in, in those same ser- that same series of play, they fought really hard for each meter when they carried the ball up. And you've, you, the, the aim isn't for each guy to make as many meters as possible. It should be to, to take to draw the defense in, take the contact, get the ball recycled, and go again, and try and create uh, opportunities where you're outnumbering the opposition. But instead, they're fighting for every meter. The guy who's doing making the tackle knows he's going to get him eventually. The defenders don't really need to jump in. One extra guy maybe, but everyone else is just on on just backpedaling, backpedaling. They're ready. You need to go down, take the contact, don't fight for so many metres and value quick ball. They're not valuing quick ball enough either and that's that's the other thing they need to unlock, I think. Yeah, the Jags didn't play that well in this game and they still got the win on Australian soil, which they're making a habit of. Um, but yeah, look, Brumby's forwards, I think they've got a pretty good forward pack at the moment. Cusack, yeah, look, he, he's pretty consistent. He's a bit like the Michael Wells of the Brumbies in terms of just being everywhere and... You know, pretty I like consistent guy. Came, doers. Yeah, came from the sevens. He's not a guy that's going to set the world on fire, but, you know, you've got guys like Nice Arani doing that. So, yeah, they're, they're tight five again. 
more similar to the Reds, pretty solid, good scrummaging, good lineouts. Um, Rory Arnold's, you know, has these, you know, moments of aggression where he's kind of just hitting people left, right, and center. And, and Sam Carter's just a bit of a toiler. Sam but, Carter's done, man. Yeah, the back line, I think, is the. He's done. Uh, mate, no, he's don't done. say that. He's. He, at an international level, he's done. No, he's done but in the Brumbies as well. Get him out. Level. Get Arnold you need and, guys like and that. Blood, Blake, and like Don't leave Sam Carter. In. There's no point having him in there. It doesn't do anything. Well, mate, you've got Blake Enivers playing six this week, so probably not what you want to see. Um, but you'll see how that goes. See if he gets some more game time. He can maybe get back into the lock position with, with Rory, or maybe you'll see Richie Arnold come back. But honestly, the Brumbies, their biggest issue is at 9, 10, and 12, I think. Aware is, you know, decent at times, but this year they really have struggled for, for consistency at number nine. Um, and they've kind of rotated those guys in and out, Powell and Lucas. Um, 12 hasn't been set at all. And it's just, it's really, they're really suffering for it across the back line. So I think if you saw someone like Tavita in, in the Tars, like with the setup they've got there, you just go from strength to strength. And I think that's why he plays so well for the Wallabies when he when he goes into that mode. But at the moment, the Brumbies just, yeah, the back line is letting them down. I think their forwards have... You know, they can combat some of the better teams, but, yeah, their backs are just not up to standard. It's disappointing. I think everyone is just everyone is just feeling pretty sad after going through all these weekend of games. All right, let's quickly jump around. I'll let you know the scores in the other games of that round. So the Highlanders took down the Blues, as expected, 34-16. to 16. Crusaders, 33, beating the Sunwolves, 11. And probably... I was really enjoyed watching this game. The Sharks versus the Stormers over in Durban. The Sharks taking it at the end, 24-17, to 17, but it was a really, really close game, this one. I really... I don't know. It's been a while since I've really enjoyed one of those South African derbies. Yeah, from my perspective, this was probably the best game of the round, and it actually signals to me a little bit, which I think Leo and I were talking offline about this, that, you know, the South African teams are turning it on a bit this year consistently, and maybe it is that, you know... There is a bit of a um, effect from going from six teams to four. I know that the two other teams are still playing in the Pro 14, but I think some of the guys from those teams, like guys like Mumpimpi, um, came across from the Kings to the Sharks. Yeah, Strauss, guys like that. There's been a kind of filtering of, of talent back into these four teams, um, and I think it's really helped the South African teams overall. Like, they're just... They seem to be playing at a higher level in terms of their skills. They're more aggressive in the way they play. They don't kick as much. Just tactically, it's like much more exciting to watch. Um, and I think it's going to actually signal a bit of a resurgence to South African rugby, both domestically. I'm sure the Curry Cup is still strong. But I think the international, internationally, I think the Springboks are going to have probably quite a big year and they might actually... They have the potential, I think, to shock the All Blacks this year. Mm. Well, I was just thinking about, like, the top sort of back row, second row that they're going to put together, and you're thinking they're getting people like Franco Mostert, Luke de Yaga, Peter Steptetoit. You've got Khaleesi, you've got Jean-Luc Dupree. You've got this... And Warren Whiteley's going to be yeah, back yeah. there as well. They're going to have this crazy, like, huge back row of these huge monsters, and it's going to be very tough to stop that go forward. Who's, who's the other Stormers guy I'm thinking of, Locke? 
Eben Etzebeth. Eben Etzebeth. Yeah. Yeah, like guys like that aren't even playing. Um, they've got a lot of talent, particularly, like you said, around their back row. Um, their front row probably is still a little bit lacking in some ways in terms of those dynamic players. But they've got a few guys hanging around that can slot in and, and play that kind of um, up-tempo brand of footy. Um, so I think, yeah, across the board, good young fly halves, mm-hmm. um, some decent outside backs and an amazing kind of stock of back row players. So I'm really excited to see how, how South Africa goes this, this year in the rugby championship. Yeah, I think it'll spell a bit of trouble for the Australian teams, I reckon. Look, I think the way it's panned out and the way performances have panned out, this is the right type of selection for this game. Well, we started this segment last week and it's Wallaby Watch. And it's looking, this week we want to look at the second rows and who we think the Wallaby is going to put in to uh, the Games vs. Ireland coming up in June. And it's getting closer and closer. And I think looking across what everyone thinks, there's one name that I think is the first pick for all of us. And it's, and it's not anyone that's been there sort of before. It's not sort of Adam Coleman. It's not this Rory Arnold. It's Isaac Rodder. And Toby, you were saying it before. You, you've loved this watching this kid at the Reds with Kane Douglas. I have. And I, I think actually Kane Douglas will has the potential at least to to be his second row pairing in the first game against Ireland. I think they have formed a good combination together. They do have a similar style of game, but overall they're pretty strong across the park um, and they hit hard in defences. And I think that's what the Wallabies are going to need against Ireland. So Coleman has been a little bit out of form. If he hit form, peak form, as to how he was playing last year, I could easily see Rodder being with him. But I think you may find that that he'll come off the bench at least for that first game against Ireland. Um, in terms of other guys in the squad, um, I've just picked two other guys to kind of fit in there. I think Rory Arnold's still got some potential. Mm. Um, and another guy that's kind of stepped up his game this year after having an opportunity um, is Matt Phillip. Um, probably outplayed Adam Coleman for the majority of the season. And, you know, I think he's not the biggest bloke, but he's just consistent. He, he doesn't make too many mistakes. And... You know, I could easily see Jack Checker um, using him across the, the Wallabies season because he just seems like someone that, you know, brings it every week um, and just, you know, no fuss about him. He just kind of turns up, does his job. And, um, yeah, that's kind of the guys Checker likes. So I can see him fitting in pretty well. Yeah, see, I don't know about... I don't know if Kane Douglas is who, because I think we still got to have a view towards the 2019 World Cup here, and I don't think Kane Douglas is going to be around. I'd prefer to see them put Rodder and Coleman in. And I know Coleman hasn't quite been a top form, but he's got something that every good second row needs, and it's that little bit of niggle. It's that little bit of pissing off the other team and getting them fired up and getting them not thinking about the game, thinking about, I don't know, trying to annoy the guy that's just been pushing their head into the ground. So I'd love to see those two. And, I and agree- he is a massive bloke as well. Yeah, and he's just huge. And I want to see... Matt Phillip, like you said, has been really good. I reckon um, he deserves a spot on the bench. And then you back him up with, yeah, okay, maybe Kane Douglas. And Rob Simmons is probably going to end up being in there as well. I don't reckon Rory Arnold's done enough or any of the Brumby second rollers have done enough really to get onto the squad this year. I can I can see where you're coming from, Arch. I think the, the Rod are common. There's a lot of potential for that to be a good combination. Um, at this stage, uh, Kane Douglas is only, I think he's turning 29 this year. So he's not 
He's not that old. He, he might be on the outer. He's, he's come back in the Super Rugby. He's got Rugby a lot of miles and, on him. Yeah, like I, I think there's some value in him as a senior guy. And, and the fact that he and Rodder seem to be really owning that line out with BPA, um, they're both playing a lot of minutes. They've impressed me. I think if, if you were looking for, again, combinations, and, and I don't think combinations are the, the be-all and end-all, but Rodder and Douglas are playing well together. And I honestly don't think anyone else has played consistently well and and particularly with a focus on securing the set piece and defense. I think those two are, are still probably the pick. And then in the reserves, I think Adam Coleman deserves uh, that spot. So... At, we talked a while ago, at the start of the season, Adam Coleman was was bringing a lot of physicality and a lot of intent, and then that sort of dropped off a bit. and And we were talking about whether the the onerousness of the leadership was was uh, taking his focus away from himself as an individual and and doing his job in the team, and and maybe just make him sort of stand back and and observe and and sort of control the other guys a little bit, direct traffic. I think in the Wallabies. He's got all the leadership around him. He can just focus on himself, and I think he can rise back to the the more impactful player that we saw early in the season. Uh, and then in the squad, I think Rory Arnold. I still think Rory Arnold is is a good player, but the discipline really concerns me. He gave up like three penalties for the Brumbies, all for either offside or like ruck, ruck issues. Uh, and it's he's just got to cut it out of his game. Like that's we can't afford to give penalties away against the strength of the All Blacks and the and the South African opposition. They'll just kick it over the line, set up as another set piece, and and they'll be in. So we, discipline is a big factor. So if, if Checker thinks he can handle that, well, maybe you'll pick Rory Arnold. I think Blake Enivers, yeah, he was a bolter last year. He he and Matt Phillip, I can kind of either or. I, I actually didn't mind him uh, in one of the games a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and then obviously Rob Simmons will probably be there because... He's Rob Simmons and uh, and Leo's favourite player. He's the most experienced, please talented uh, line-out guy we have. Look, uh, even it though really he's concerns me. Wasted it on the rest. Concerns me that you and Archie both have Rob Simmons in your squad. Like, I want you to be it's picking not, not guys that you want there. Do you act? No, I think you should be picking who should be there, not who you think will be there. Like, I'm I'm tipping who I think will terrible. be there, but I'm telling you why I think it should be other people. So, like, if he's I, I like in this game, as well, if he's in the squad, but he's not actually playing. There's no point having him there, because if you're picking him for his like ability to run the line out and stuff, his all-round game is pretty terrible. He just runs a good line out. He. That's what I was. That's exactly what I'm saying. But you've you've got to have guys. You've got some guys in the squad maybe more as an injury coverage sort of thing. So I think your best three are Roddick, Douglas, and then Coleman. I think if someone like that, some the guy who runs the line-out gets injured, maybe Rob Simmons goes straight in. If one of your bigger physical guys gets injured, Rory Arnold goes in. And if you want to, um, like another guy in amongst the squad who might not actually get much game time, if any, you've got a Matt Phillip or a Blake you Enner know, who's there to say you know who we're forgetting? Luke Antui. That's who we're forgetting. This is for Ireland. If I he doesn't think... get picked over Rob's... Yeah, I know, but if he doesn't... doesn't if play. Rob Simmons gets picked in the squad and Luke Antui isn't there, that's very disappointing from Checker. He hasn't been playing. Yeah, like, he's, he's been on and off, pitch. but he's yeah. been injured. Yeah, um, so... But he has a lot of potential, and we should be actually be... I know we're trying to win this series against Ireland, without a doubt, 
um, and we want to just be picking our best team every every game out over those three games because we can't be looking too much towards next year. Um, but still, like Rob Simmons is not going to be someone that's effective against Ireland. Like, sure, he can run a good line out, but there are other guys that can do that. Um, we've seen Coleman do that. And I think we're at a stage where if someone, someone like Kane Douglas can come in and probably do that as well. So I'd much rather have a fit Kane Douglas there who's just belting blokes. You know, sure, he might get a bit carried away at times in terms of his discipline, um, but Simmons makes a lot of silly silly errors across the field um, and loses his head quite often too. So um, let's just hope he's not there, guys, because it's really going to damage the wall of his chances if he's in that 23. He's, he's not a pick that um, helps you build toward the World Cup. I'll definitely agree with that. I don't I don't really want the spot used on Rob Simmons. I just feel like it's inevitable. <laughs> oh, bloody hell. That's the confidence we have in Australian rugby. But let's look forward to the coming round and let's give our picks out. We have buys this week to the Waratahs, Sharks and Chiefs. But starting on Friday afternoon, um, the Hurricanes versus Sunwolves. And is anyone going to take the Sunwolves here? Canes all the way? Yeah, Hurricanes. Canes. Too easy. They're starting Barrett as well. Yeah. Um, well, they say they are. Much... No, they'll start him this, this week. They've seen the Sunwolves are competitive. Um, he'll play at least the first half. I reckon he'll play 60 minutes. And then they'll probably bring on Garden Bashup or something um, once they're about 30 points in front. So Hurricane should do this pretty easily. But, you know, it's good to see. They've, they've named Artie Severe 7. Um, they've rested, I think, maybe a couple of their forwards. Or maybe that's just through injury. Oh, Gareth Evans is on the bench. So I think, you know, they probably rested Lousy and Evans. Apart from that, um, it's a pretty full-strength mm-hmm. team they put out. So. Nehem Milner Scott is back. Yeah, exactly. that's what I was going to come out. Exactly. Look, he'll get a run off the bench. It's got a step. That's points, a big, points, it's a big, points. mate. They've just got so many good players. <laughs> they can't be denied. They're gonna, they're gonna win this comfortably. Yeah. And it's good to see they have a redhead back in the Hurricanes colours. They haven't done it for a little while since Paul Tito was there. But Finlay Christie coming in on at nine while they don't have um, TJ Perinara. It's great to see. He's no he's no Harry Johnson Holmes, but uh-huh. know, it's something. <laughs> and H-J-H. We, we don't have a 7.30 game in Australia this Friday, so next game is the Stormers versus the Rebels, and that's down at 11 p.m. coming out of Cape Town. And can the Rebels pick it back up after a bit of a disappointing loss? Will they be a bit more recovered, not so much jet lag? And can they make it competitive against the Stormers team that were very competitive against the Sharks last week? So they've picked they've picked what I think is pretty close to their strongest forwards group. We talked about Jermaine Ainsley being back in. That's good. Um, we're still not seeing Colby Fyinga starting. Those The big forwards, the back row, really need to focus on shutting down some of the Stormers forwards. So Ramon Samuels pilfers a bit of ball. Uh, their back row is pretty busy. Khaleesi will be in there. So th- those guys might not be the best pilferers themselves, but they need to focus on shutting that down from the Stormers. If they can do what they should have done, actually what they did do against the Waratahs early on weeks and weeks ago where they held possession, they can keep it off the Stormers. I think this is winnable. I'm not going to tip them because I think there's low, low low probability that they do do this, but I feel like that's what they need to do. And if they could do that, if they can starve them of possession... 
then they've got a shot in this game and unlocking their backs um, and targeting Dam- Damian Willemser, who is probably the weakest of all the fly halves in the South African conference. He's by no means a bad fly half, but he's definitely, uh, he can be shaken if you target him early. Yeah, I think, I mean, the centers for the Rebels are going to have their hands full. I think if they can keep Dialende and Villon, they've been sort of busting lines throughout their sort of last couple of weeks for the Stormers. If Meeks and Hodge can work together and really stop that momentum at the midfield and stop some of those big forwards taking those runs off Willems' shoulder, then that goes a long way to stopping and just ceasing a lot of the Stormers' attack really early on. And that's the only way the Rebels are going to be able to get across and win this game by absolutely forcing Willemso into early kicks and forcing them to not be able to sort of throw it wide and trying to play a territory game. But like you said, yeah, like you said, Leo, I'm I'm still backing the Stormers at this point. I want to see something from the Rebels, but without Genia there, it's it's very hard to tip. Yeah, I I used my Rebels pick um, last week for for a win in South Africa, and they they let me down on that. I think this week's team is probably a little bit better on paper. Um, I like Maddox back there at fullback. That should be quite interesting to see what he can do. Um, if they had Genia, you know, I might be kind of tempted to pick them again. But I'm going with the Stormers at home. I think that they'll they'll be able to do enough to to get over the top of the Rebels. Um, but yeah, I think it'll still be a, quite a close game, and hopefully, fo- hopefully, some points in this. They're both, you know, the Stormers were were before quite a strong defensive team, um, but I'm I'm not sure they're quite as good as they were in the last few years. So, um, you know, it'd be nice to see some points. I think the Stormers will get over the Rebels in a in a pretty close one. Next game, kicking off the first of a three sort of game series on Saturday afternoon, the Reds host the Lions up in Brisbane, and it's going to be a tough one. I've just been looking at the stats. The Reds have scored the least amount of points of any team in the Super Rugby this year. They've scored even less, 20 points less than the Sunwolves so far versus a Lions team that has scored, what is it, I think more than 50, 60 points than any other team. So I don't see how the Reds are going to be able to win this unless they completely manage to play some attacking rugby and actually manage to put points on the board. I can't see them beating a Lions team without scoring 25 to 30 points at least. Yeah, you hit the nail right on the head with that one. The the Reds just don't have the points in them to to be able to, you know, get over a team that just can score 30 points pretty easily in a game. And look, the the Reds do have a a, a fair defense and I think they'll be very physical again. They'll be fired up to to, you know, face the top team from South Africa. Um but yeah, just going on how the Waratahs performed against the the Lions last week. The Lions look they're not they're not phased by coming over here. They're confident. They're playing with a lot of flair and passion. Um, and yeah, I think they'll just be too good for for a Reds team that's floundering a little bit and just fails to score more than twenty points in a game. I can't see how the Lions are going to be restricted to twenty points or 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 less. I think they're going to probably run away with this one in the end. Yeah, it would be an absolutely godlike effort for the Reds to to contain the Lions. Based, I mean, looking at the stats, it tells a story. There, there's so much potential there. It's, I think the with the loss of John O'Lance um, is going to put a lot of heat down J- uh, Hamish Stewart's channel. So they'll definitely be running at him. It's his uh, it's his run on debut. So 
that'll get a lot of work. And then they've got uh, Jordan Petadea uh, on the wing as well, another run-on debut. So there's there's a couple of channels there that you'd expect the the Lions to target. But we saw them we saw them uh, pick apart their opposition last week uh, in the in the Waratahs, and I, I, I don't think they're gonna. I thought sure they'll come in here with a another strong game plan targeting certain players. And I just I don't know who steps up to to keep the Reds' defense strong enough to keep the points out, let alone how the Reds turn around and, and score a bunch of points on the Lions. I think it's it could be it could be another uh, yeah thirty saying to ten kind of game. I think you know George Smith is starting, so perhaps there's an occasion for him to step up and really take control of this game. If he can inspire guys like Timu and. Angus Scott Young around him. I'm not worried about the Reds type five. I mean, JP Smith comes in at, at loose head prop, which probably isn't ideal to be honest. But, you know, overall that forward pack is quite well. physical and quite strong. Yeah, look, he's not bad, but I, yeah, I, obviously I think James Slip is still a pretty big loss there. Um, but yeah, I think as well, Hamish Stewart, like you said, Leo, massive test for him. He could step up and lead them to victory, but you know it's unlikely. And I think they'll they'll miss miss having the settled kind of head and and the way that John o, John o Lance can take control of the game. So, you know, good to see Hamish Stewart getting a start. But yeah, Lions. I think it's it's going to be a one way street. I think for them. Yeah, I'd back Tangwe as well to get another try in this one out down one of those outside channels. Um, we know the Reds haven't been the strongest in the fence out there. Next game we have is the Blues and the Hagiwaras coming out of Eden Park in Auckland. And the Hags have made it two from two on this overseas tour. Can they make another one in a row? That'd be, I think, the most anyone's would have scored on, um, got away with wins on their overseas tour. Three out, three wins. Yeah, look, I'm taking the Blues in this one. Um, I don't particularly, I, a lot of the guys that they're starting with now, they kind of shift around a lot of dudes in their pack and... Um, also, their back line, like Rico Yuani's back at 12. It's a bit confusing. I think one week he's at 12, Silly. next week he's at 13. Then he's back on the wing. Like, he's, they're not doing him any favors in terms of getting him settled for All Blacks duty because he's just, you know, it's like they're trying to get him to inspire the whole back line um, and it's really not working that well for them. One, one guy I'm happy to see back in the starting lineup is Duffy at 15. Um, I think he offers a lot and... Um, yeah, he's got a decent kicking game and he, he just seems to make things happen back there. So, um, yeah, I think in terms of the Haguares, they were lucky to beat the Brumbies, I think, a little bit. Um, the Blues, who knows what they're going to actually do in, in any sort of these games. You, you really don't know how they're going to perform week to week. Um, they seem a bit lost. They don't have much direction. And, you know, it's a game where maybe they could just come out and crush the Hags. Um, I don't know. I think it actually might be a bit similar to what the Brumbies game was in terms of, say, a 25-20 kind of scoreline. I think the Blues will probably get there just. But then again, look, the Hags have been playing well on tour and I'm sure they'll be confident going into this game. So keep your eye on this one, I think. Yeah, the Blues, the lineup I'm looking at now, well, the benefits of a lineup, um, it does look like a pretty strong... 15 and and if Augustine Pulu is back in the starting side, I don't have a lot of hesitation just picking the Blues outright. Um, Jonathan Ruru is yeah you know, is a tier below um, with 
with the Hags coming off two two travelling wins and going to New Zealand, is it's probably the less likely outcome. But I, I reckon there's a way they can win this too. They might surprise us. Um, but I think I'll be picking the Blues if Augustine Pulu is definitely the starter. Well, you have the team list. Are you picking the Blues? Well, my team list says Augustine Pulu or Jonathan Ruru, and then it names Augustine Pulu on the bench. So I don't know what to make of that. I, I get this feeling that Ruru is going to start. I think he's actually better than his older brother, Michael. I think Jonathan offers a bit. Um, but I think you'll see Pulu maybe come on second half, give him 20 minutes, half an hour. Um, I don't think they need him necessarily to win this game, but I think it would be nice. I mean, if they do start him, I'll be surprised. But, yeah, the Blues, anything's possible, really. Look, I think the Hags, it's very simple. You shut down Sanchez early and you also shut down between Tuchelet and Buffelli. That's their big sort of outside attacking risks and those guys score a lot of their points. Uh, so if you focus your defence on them, then you're definitely going to be able to, you know, stop them early. Like we've said, you stop them scoring points early in this game and then you just hold the ball against them and they'll get frustrated and you can take the win. And the Blues, look, it's not something they've been able to do a lot this season, but I think they'll be able to put it together enough. Um, after a reasonable, reasonably strong showing last weekend, they should get the win here. I think it's it's strange, mate. I just checked my phone, and the UK betting agencies have the Blues to win at, a, well, it's a pound 30, but it'd probably be similar odds in, in Australia. And the Hags are at $3 or £3.60 to win this game. Like, that seems like ridiculously good money and good value there for the Haguaris. Um, <laughs> I think I thought it would be a lot closer in terms of odds than this, so very surprising to see that given how the Hags have been touring. But it just shows you, like, the bookies do have faith in the Blues um, against maybe slightly weaker opposition at home. Um, but in these kind of New Zealand derbies, the Blues just seem to be able to, to lose every single one of those. So what do you got, Arch, on yours? Yeah, I'm similar. So it's $1.30 for the Blues, $3.50 for the Haguaras. Wow. Makes me almost want to That's put That's surprising, money isn't it? Yeah. yeah it doesn't seem to make a lot of different. sense. Mm. That seems a lot, very They're putting a lot of stock in, in New Zealand home games. Like, it is very difficult to win in New Zealand, and we shouldn't underestimate that. Um, if you're going to do it, it's, you know, Blues are your best opportunity, and that's what I'm thinking. If, if Augustine Pulu isn't there, they're playing... Uh, Rico Ioani out of what we think his best position is, then I think they're making life hard for themselves. But, yeah, it's, it's, it is very difficult to win in New Zealand for any team who's travelling. And compared to that, it seems pretty straightforward with the Brumbies-Crusaders game on Saturday night, another game in Canberra, but the Brumbies are very short odds at $6 to win that game versus the Crusaders. And I'm definitely not arguing with those odds. Yeah, the Brumbies have got, uh, obviously, a few guys coming in. We've got Andrew Smith at inside centre. Blake Enivers playing on blindside flank. Um, that's pretty unusual, uh, I guess, to have Blake Enivers at six. But but they may be suffering with a few injuries. And they're looking to sort of sort of muscle up against these Crusaders uh, who, who do have a lot of All Blacks in their squad. And, and even their bench looks pretty strong. So... With guys like White Crockett, Michael Atar, Luke Romano, all sitting on the bench, um, and Israel Dag can't can't go past Israel Dag coming back onto the wing. So there's uh, a lot of talent in that Crusaders lineup, and the and the Brumbies are plugging holes at the moment. So uh, it's it's probably going to be a lot of one way traffic. It's going to be have to be a big defensive effort from them, and 
and again, possession, keep possession, keep the ball in hand so that the Crusaders can't run off with it. I just don't... I know the Brumbies are getting sort of injured and they've sort of lost their first two 12s with Leliafano and um, Godwin there, but to have to be starting Andrew Smith, like, you're not offering anything more to your team if you're having to start people like Andrew Smith. It's not like that's going to be the key to unlock actually giving Davida Kajani a bit more of a run, a bit more space for him to actually try and get going this season. It's a season. stop gap. It's just... Why would you put him in? Just You have other people that give them a go. Give bloody Jackson Hope. Give someone else. Give Put Muirhead in close. I don't... Try Kuandrani at 12 and just see what's going to happen. What? That's... I would much rather than do something completely unexpected than put Andrew Smith in at 12. That's just... That's, who are you taking, Arch? Crusaders will win this by 20. Yeah, look, I think up front, this is obviously going to be a pretty combative kind of match. Brumbies, Crusaders, traditionally, there's a lot of history between these two teams back in the early 2000s and kind of throughout um, the Brumbies' history. They kind of played quite well against the Crusaders, but I think, it, you know, looking at the team list, Crusaders have welcomed as we said a few guys back um they they're playing mike delaney at, at fly half he's been preferred to mitch hunt um so they're gonna have a you know a very balanced old head kind of leading them around and that's very different to the the kind of poise that the brummies are, are showing in their playmaking stocks um archie mentioned andrew smith he played kind of number 13 for the the brummies probably more but before Kurandrani came in. He's a, he's a big guy, like, for a centre, um, and maybe they're looking for someone to carry up a bit more, but, again, that's not really going to help to unlock their their dynamic outside backs. So, look, I think the Crusaders, um, I think it might be tight early because the Brumbies do have the ability to defend well. Crotty will rip him to shreds. Yeah, look, Crotty's one of the smartest minds in rugby, um, and he really enables a back line that, when you got guys like Israel Dag and Havili and Tamani Valu there, like when you can enable these guys to to get a bit of space and put them through gaps, like they're going to perform for you. So I'm backing the Crusaders forward pack to be able to get over the top of the Brumbies. Um, and then I think the, the backs will just finish it off pretty easily. So it's a bit sad to be riding the Brumbies off at home like this, but I'm going to have to do so with a Crusaders team that's, you know, they just perform consistently through adversity. And, and yeah, so I'm pretty happy picking them this week. I think, you know, it's a pretty safe pick. The one thing I want to see this week is Henry Spate stay on his player. If we see that, I'll be happy. Unlikely. <laughs> if we I'm don't see that, I want to see him dropped. That's what I want to see. Maybe that's the key number, mate. There was too much pressure for game 100. Hopefully he can turn it around. Hopefully he can. I right. don't have anyone else, but yeah. Mm. And the last game of the round, we have the Bulls uh, versus the Highlanders last who are game. starting their, starting their um, overseas trip in South Africa. And like the Rebels going over last week, this is not an easy start for the Highlanders, a Bulls team that's really been firing. And i got to say, I don't think that the, as good as the Highlanders have been, I don't think they're going to get past a Bulls team at home with the likes of Adrian Strauss, Luke Diaga and Andre Pollard that have really been sort of playing really well. And they've got a great, great talent in their back sort of three as well. Gallant's been having an absolutely stellar season and they've got the big boys out wide like Rousseau on the wing as well. 
I think the Bulls are going to take this one. Mate, so this is interesting because Elliot Dixon comes back into six. You've got Dylan Hunt, who's a great young seven, performing. Luke Whitelock's looking to be a bit of a shoo-in for the All Blacks in the June series. Um, and then you've got a really dynamic, explosive back line that we talk about every week. Um, some great centre with Tara Rangi Walden and Rob Thompson there. Ben Smith shifted to the wing. Um, but, yeah, these these guys really lead from the front and the forwards. They're guys that don't get a lot of credit in the tight five there, um, but they do the job every week and set a, a really strong platform for, for the guys outside that can score some pretty amazing tries. So, um, Bulls, look, I, I'm not really sure whether they're up to this one. Playing at home is going to obviously help them a lot. Um, but, yeah, I think the Highlanders will be good enough in terms of just having the, the player stocks to be a little bit too explosive for a Bulls team that I think is still developing. Um, shows a lot; of, They're showing a lot of potential, but I think the Highlanders um, will see are probably at, at another level to the Bulls. And, um, yeah, I think they'll get this done maybe by about 10 points or so. I reckon it'll be closer than that. Um, and it might be one of these games where the Highlanders struggle to score points if the Bulls can uh, play as well as they have been early in the game. There might be a bit of a chase going on. In in that in that late game where everyone's a bit tired and there's a bit more broken play, I think I back the Highlanders to to maybe steal a few points late. Uh, it's it's whether they can stay in touch during the the early phases of the game. I think they can, uh, but the Bulls, yeah, Bulls at home. I think I think I probably need to adjust my position on on South African teams at home. I think I've been a little bit dismissive of that um, the travel that the teams, uh, the opposition have to put up with. So I'm I'm teetering right on the brink at the moment. I'm going Highlanders. I think based on these teams, I'll I'll probably stick with that. Well, that's all the games in this weekend. Uh, we'll be back next week to have a bit of a review, see how we've done with those picks. Um, we want to get a bit of a mailbag going. So, guys, email in your questions to us at runningrugbypodcast at gmail.com. But for all other news, updates, and highlights, you can always catch them on our Facebook page at Running Rugby Podcast or find and like us on Instagram as well at Running Rugby Podcast. Uh, that's it for this week. Enjoy this weekend. Hopefully we get to see an Australian team bring a victory home. Uh, But either way, we'll be here next week. Up until then, guys, keep on running. Run. Yeah, yeah. I think it's my turn, Leo. You so rude. You so rude, Leo. Jump in. Um. <clears throat>